welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and I am so grateful you're joining me today as we continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we are on episode 92. We're working through the fifth beatitude, Matthew 5, 7, which states, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Always my reminder, if you're joining us for the first time or a bit behind, no pressure here. Each episode can stand alone, and I'm working through them pretty slow, as I said in the last episode. So I have time to prepare them, and you have time to listen to them. I am so thankful for time in the Word that I get studying and prepping, and I hope that you're going to get some time to dig into these scriptures on your own too, especially at the pace that we're going on. So we're still working through the Beatitudes or the blessings here in these early verses of Matthew chapter 5, and the reminder that these are the characteristics, characteristics of those that belong to the kingdom of heaven. So Working through these Beatitudes continues to cause me to have self-examination, which is really good, but it's also really hard. And I do believe that was probably what Jesus was hoping we would do, that we would allow the Lord to search our heart and life. And when he does that, are, are we thankful for attitudes and actions and responses that are brought out so they can be brought into obedience to his word? Or do we find ourselves wanting to avoid dealing with it or avoid desiring to ask the Lord to change us or grumbling or even sadly trying to justify what's in there? Martin Lloyd-Jones reminds us that our response to the Sermon on the Mount says a lot about us as Christians. It is God's word. It's his truth that is causing us to dig deep into the depths of our hearts and examine them. And that's a good thing. Even when we see the sinfulness of our hearts, that's good because it's being revealed. So we need to give thanks for that because when sin is out in the light, it can be dealt with. We don't want to keep it in the darkness of our souls. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones states again, a man who is truly a Christian never objects to being humbled. So standing before the mirror of God's word is a good place for us to be. It's where our true selves are revealed, and it's where the Lord works to change us and mold us more into his likeness. And to do this, he needs to reveal what in us is not in his likeness. This is how we grow spiritually, how we mature in the faith, and how we are being continually sanctified and growing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So Jesus is emphasizing here in the Beatitudes about attitudes and not actions because right actions will come out of right attitudes, but our attitudes begin in the heart. So here is where it all begins. And being is more important than doing. Attitude is more significant than action. We must be changed from the inside out. We must be born again. We have to be a Christian before we can act like a Christian. Our attitudes come out of the fact that we are Christians. And Galatians 2.20 comes to mind here. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in Christ, those of us that are in Christ, that we have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone and for our salvation, the Spirit now controls us at the very center of our being. Christ is in control, not us. And we can at times all muster up these moments of, you know, responding rightly on the outside, all the while on the inside, we are a sinful mess. And I'm not saying that we should just openly express everything that's going on inside of us because um, at times, even being what I like to call being Marcy controlled and keeping my thoughts or my words to myself were probably a good thing in that moment because I don't know the damage they could have done to someone if I spoke out harshly or rudely or just said things in a wrong tone or angrily or whatever it is. But but the hope is, as the Lord continues to work in my life, that mercy or kindness towards others, being spirit-controlled, this is key, would just be the natural outflowing of life in the spirit because the reality is, Marcy controlled is going to fail me. It's not sustaining. Spirit controlled is sustaining and it honors God. And Marcy controlled does not honor God. So as we go about our daily lives, these beatitudes that we're working through are so telling, my friend. This is why we are working through them. This is not just a text for scholars or seminary professors. It's a text for every one of us, no matter where we find ourselves. And digging deeper into it gives us a better understanding and opens these scriptures up to us. So now every time you begin to read these chapters in Matthew, just in your normal annual Bible reading, or if you're reading through the Gospels, it's going to take on a whole different meaning to you. It's really going to open up that text to you. So think here, again, it's not just a text for scholars, but it's coming out with things like how do we react to our family and those closest to us because every one of our actions reveals to others and ourselves and to the Lord who we really are, right? Do our lives reflect those who are poor in spirit, who are mournful over their sin, who are meek and humble? Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? And as we look back over the previous Beatitudes, because again, they build on one another, we now come to our question today. It's a long intro, right? They're always long intros. But here's our question today. Are we merciful? The man who is merciful is the man who is blessed. They are the ones who shall receive mercy. And our Matthew 5, 7 tells us, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So let me start as I like to, with what it does not mean. So I'm going to do a little bit of paraphrasing here from our friend, the doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He states, it doesn't mean someone who is easygoing or has no desire for justice or righteousness. It doesn't believe man should be able to do whatever he likes. It's not the live and let live attitude. They don't smile at sin or give a pass at sin. It's not meaning they just get along with everyone because they have this easygoing personality that all is good and okay. And he reminds us, it's just like we talked about in the past Beatitudes. People are born with all different kinds of temperaments, but this denies the whole biblical teaching that we are looking at here. So being merciful is true of God. Our perfect God is our definition of merciful. 
someone with an easygoing attitude may have no concern whatsoever about sin, but God is merciful and he is the definition of mercy. And along with being merciful, he is also just and righteous and holy. So the definition of merciful must fit into the biblical definition of who God is. God doesn't compromise truth and justice in the name of mercy. And we who are his followers, we're not to compromise it either. God shows mercy in Christ, but it's at the cost of the cross, not in compromising his law. So our Christian mercy condemns sin, but as we're going to dig a little bit deeper here together in a moment, it also looks with compassion and kindness to those suffering from sin's consequences. Showing mercy to others doesn't mean we overlook areas that would compromise justice. An example would be you could show mercy to someone who has committed a crime and you could be sympathetic towards them and also to their family. The world would condemn the one who committed the crime and want nothing to do with them. But as those of us in Christ, we see them as someone who now committed a crime that deserves punishment and there are consequences for our actions, right? But we are also to forgive, restore relationships to the best of our ability and to love our enemies. We have been forgiven much. We too have committed crimes against a holy God that deserve punishment. And in Christ, we have been shown and granted grace and mercy and have been lavishly, how I love that word, lavishly loved on and forgiven by a holy God. So we too can now look at others and we can remind ourselves, it is only by the grace of God I go. The mercy we're going to dig into today here in Matthew 5, 7, it's not referring to natural human emotions. It's a mercy that can only come from those who have a relationship with the Lord. John MacArthur stated on this verse, he said, we're talking about something that's not human at all. It's divine. We're moving out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the kingdom of men, out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. We're talking about a kind of mercy that's operative in God's kingdom, not in man's kingdom, end quote there. So the word merciful here is eleemones, botch it all the time, but it's spelled E-L-E-E-M-O-N-E-S. You can check it out, Blue Letter Bible, check out Matthew 5, 7 there. And it's used here and also in Hebrews 2, 17 in this particular form, and it comes from eleo, and it means Basically, this is what you need to know. It means to have mercy on. It refers to one who is actively compassionate or one who is benevolently merciful involving thought and action. It reflects being concerned about people in their need. One might say they are two words here, mercy, full, you know, mercy, M-E-R-C-Y, and then full, F-U-L-L, merciful or full of mercy. The idea is that they possess a compassionate heart leading one to acts of mercy, and the purpose of which is to relieve the suffering and misery of the object of that compassion. So sometimes it even meant giving money to a needy person. And when we refer to believers here in this word in, in Aliman, um, the word for mercy, it refers not to merely those who express acts of mercifulness, but who have this attribute as a result of the indwelling, indwelling spirit of Christ. So again, it's beyond natural human kindness that others can just muster up, 
the world shows mercy, but it's not out of pure motives. It's not, they're not doing it to honor God, right? We can get caught in this too, even as believers. The world would show mercy to be seen and to be acknowledged by others. But what we are referring to here is divine mercy. It's true sympathy, genuine compassion with purely unselfish motives and that reaches out to someone in need. John MacArthur stated on this passage so perfectly. He said, the Hebrew word for mercy is a beautiful word used very often in the Old Testament, and sometimes the Hebrew word is translated in the Septuagint by the Greek word elio, and it's the word hesed. It really is untranslatable. You can hardly reduce it to one word, but most often the Old Testament writers in most translations intended to say what I think the English word loving kindness expresses. Loving kindness expresses a motive and an action, and it is often translated two words there. Loving kindness is how we'll hear it translated. And he continues this part I love. It does not mean simply to feel sympathetic. It does not mean simply to feel compassionate. It refers to the ability to literally get inside someone else's skin until you think their thoughts, feel their emotions, understand their pain. It is more than a passing wave of pity. It is an empathizing. It is a deliberate act of feeling their suffering and seeking to relieve it. That's the end quote there. But I love that. I want to read that sentence again. It refers to the ability to literally get inside someone else's skin until you think their thoughts, feel their emotions, and understand their pain. I want to pause here a second and just, have you ever had somebody like that in your life do that for you? That you were in just such a dire situation and somebody just literally laid down their life and sacrificed and just poured into you and showed you true mercy. That's what we're talking about here. So in the Old Testament, the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies was a place where compassion, it wasn't just felt or shown, but it was where something was done to alleviate the distress. So once each year on the Day of Atonement, the Lord accepted the satisfactory sacrifice to atone for the nation's sins. So here at the mercy seat, God was moved with great pity and compassion for sinful people. God, he took the action needed to reconcile them to himself and accepted the blood of a goat in their place. God's mercies are new every morning, as it tells us in Lamentations 3, and his mercies never fail. We see them each day as we begin a new day, and they are bountiful. And he gives them to us as undeserving, rebellious sinners who are chosen as his very own kids. We can't grant this mercy to anyone. This It's truly an impossible mercy and is only possible it's only a possible mercy to those who have been supernaturally changed from the inside out. Those who have been given a new heart, right? We remove the heart of stone and we've been given a heart of flesh in Christ. Those who have, um, have those, and then it is, I'm bumbling there with my words, but truly those who have been born again, those who have been redeemed, it is a characteristic of those in the kingdom of God. So as we examine ourselves, some questions to ponder how do we show mercy to others? Are we full of mercy? Do we find ourselves full of the love of God towards others? 
Do we see ourselves growing in mercy towards others? And always, I want to look at how we are doing at showing mercy to those first and foremost inside the four walls of our own homes and families. Sometimes it could be really easy to show mercy to those outside the home, but those closest to us can be the ones who need it the most, and we are neglecting that. How are you showing mercy to your husband and your children, to your parents, to those closest to you in your friendships or within your church family? Are we reaching out to others with unselfish motives to help those in need? And Ray Pritchard, a preacher, I enjoy reading um, some of his sermons online. He explained that mercy includes three elements. Number one is, first, I see the need. That's recognizing it. Number two, he says, I'm moved by the need. That's motivation. So first, we see the need. We, we see it, and then we're moved by the need, right? And number three is we move to meet the need. That's action. So we see their situation, and we want to do something to alleviate it. It's more than just a feeling or sympathizing with them or praying for them. It is those things, okay? Those are all good things, but it also sees someone is hurting, and mercy moves from feeling to action. So it is giving active compassion for those in need. So you might be asking, what about grace? How does mercy differ from grace? James Montgomery Boyce shared on this, grace is love when love is undeserved. Mercy is grace in action. Mercy is love reaching out to help those who are helpless and who need salvation. Mercy identifies with the miserable and their misery. And he continues, he said, we cannot state the definition of mercy, however, without thinking at once of the cross of Jesus Christ. For it was here that God acted out of grace and mercy to fallen sinful man. In fact, God's act was so complete at the cross that there is a sense in which mercy can be seen by a sinful man there only. In his sinful fallen state, man could do nothing to save himself. So God stepped forward to do everything that needed to be done. End quote there. We need to be clear. This verse does not contradict the rest of scripture. We can't interpret this as if I'm merciful to others, God will be merciful to me. That's not what's meant here. Martin Lloyd-Jones reminded us of a couple other examples in scripture and places like in the Lord's Prayer where we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then also think here the parable of the debtor in Matthew 18, if you want to give that one a read. These verses are not teaching that we're forgiven by God only as we forgive others because First off, the reality is here, if you and I were to be judged on these terms, not one of us would see heaven. Second, if we're holding to the fact that we're only forgiven by God to the extent that we forgive others, then the whole doctrine of grace would be canceled out of the New Testament. So scratch Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it wouldn't be true. So the reminder is scripture must always be used to interpret scripture. We need to rightly divide the word of truth and scripture cannot be interpreted in a way that contradicts other scripture. So I'm going to come up with one of these lovely long Martin Lloyd-Jones quotes. Again, I'll put it in the show notes, but it was just good. This just lays it out so clearly. So our Lord is really saying that I am only truly forgiven when I am truly repentant. To be truly repentant means that I realize I deserve nothing but punishment and that if I am forgiven, it is to be attributed entirely to the love of God and to his mercy and grace and to nothing else at all. But I, he continues, he says, but I go further. It means this, if I am truly repentant and realize my position before God and realize that I am only forgiven in that way, then of necessity, 
I shall forgive those who trespass against me. And he continues, he says, let me put it like this. I have taken the trouble to point out in each case how every one of these beatitudes follows the previous one. The principle, this principle was never more important than it is here. So this beatitude follows all the others. Therefore, he says, I put it in this form. I am poor in spirit. I realize that I have no righteousness. I realize that face to face with God and his righteousness, I am utterly helpless. I can do nothing. Not only that, I mourn because of the sin that is within me. I have come to see as the result of the operation of the Holy Spirit, the blackness of my own heart. And I know what it is to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me and desire to be rid of this vileness that is within me. Not only that, I'm meek, which means that now I have experienced this true view of myself. Nobody else can hurt me. Nobody else can insult me. Nobody can ever say anything too bad about me because I've seen myself and my greatest enemy does not even know the worst about me. I have seen myself as something truly hateful, and it is because of this that I have hungered and thirsted after righteousness. I have longed for it. I have seen that I cannot create it or produce it, and that nobody else can. I have seen my desperate position in the sight of God. I have hungered and thirsted for that righteousness which will put me right with God, that will reconcile me to God, and give me a new nature and life, and I have seen it in Christ. I have been filled I have received it all as a free gift, end quote. It is truly by grace we have been saved. Amen, friends, right? That was a great quote there. So also here, when we are thinking rightly, when we are thinking gospel-centered, we're going to see others through a Christian lens. We're going to see the lost as lost souls needing a savior. We're going to see those in Christ, our brothers and sisters in the faith, We're going to see them as fellow sinners who the Lord is continuing to sanctify. We will come to have compassion on others, and we will be able to differentiate between the sinner and his sin. We are to become like Christ and to be able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, when he was being stoned, had pity on those stoning him, and he prayed in Acts. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, We are to feel a sense of sorrow for all who are helpless slaves of sin. That is to be our attitude towards people. So the parable of the Good Samaritan is an example of mercy. The Good Samaritan took the responsibility for the injured man. He saw the need before him, and he took care of all the things needed to meet this man's need. Sinclair Ferguson stated on this, he said here that mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. And my friend, this is a picture of Jesus. Jesus restored the weak and the needy and the broken. He met needs. Jesus got his hands dirty. Jesus is the picture of the Good Samaritan here. And another thought here on this parable of the Good Samaritan is the picture of the priest and Levite. They passed by this man. They didn't take the time to help him. First off, if they touched him and he was dead, they'd have been unclean. And this would have messed up their whole schedule because you got to do, we kind of know what quarantining is like. You got to do a little quarantining going on there, right? All right. It's not a sin to be ritually unclean, but it is a sin to not show mercy. I'm seeing myself here in this area at times, and I don't like it because one aspect that I see here is they didn't want to be inconvenienced. They didn't want it to mess up their plans. The Good Samaritan was like Jesus. 
He saw the providence of God here in placing this man in his path, and he did what he needed to be the hands and feet of Christ to him. He wasn't concerned about his calendar or what he had planned that day or what it was going to cost him financially. He set aside his plans and took care of the needs before him. He didn't just look at this man with pity, but he acted. The priest and the Levite would have known these Old Testament scriptures. Hosea 6.6 6 states, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Or Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, stated on the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he said, if we have no mercy toward those who are physically ill and economically in distress, we are not Christians. And he says, notice, I did not say we become Christians by showing mercy toward the unfortunate, but that we are not believers if we are unwilling to show mercy to them. And friend, this is precisely the point of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus told the story to demonstrate that the religious establishment of his day did not fulfill the great Shema, the loving loving God with all one's might and one's neighbor as oneself. Um, Quoting there, Luke 10, verses 25 to 28. Take a peek at that. The fact that the priest and the Levite turned away from the needy man proved they did not love their neighbor as themselves. They thus failed to fulfill the law and they proved they were lost. But the Samaritan's act of mercy showed that he loved his neighbor as himself and that he was living within the gracious parameters of the law. He was a lover of God and man. Showing mercy to others is a sign we have been redeemed. And as the verse Matthew 5, 7 states, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Very simply here, if we are truly in Christ, we are God's children, objects of his mercy, we will then be merciful and we will in the end receive mercy. Being merciful to others is evidence that we have received mercy. And another aspect of mercy is showing forgiveness to others. When we understand the forgiving grace of Christ, we will be forgiving to others. I want to share the example here of Corey Temboom that most of us have heard But this is a powerful testimony of what Christian forgiveness looks like. She shares this story from her book, The Hiding Place, on a meeting that she had after the war with a guard from the concentration camp that her and her her sister Betsy were held in. And they both suffered much. It It was very challenging. Betsy suffered to the point of death. Betsy died. So from her book, The Hiding Place, she shares, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had spoke so often to the people in Bloomingdale the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. 
And so again, I breathe this silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. End quote there. So by God's grace, we too can forgive those who have sinned against us. We have received mercy. We can show mercy. We know we deserve condemnation, and we realize in Christ we have received mercy. We need to extend the same to others. Don't let yourself get caught up in harboring bitterness or resentment towards others. Psalm 103.14 reminds us we are but dust. We need to be mindful of the weakness of others. You know what? We have our own weaknesses. We see Jesus weeping over sinful and rebellious Jerusalem. And we too should be weeping over the lost in our homes and neighborhoods and cities and our nation. They need God's mercy. Ask yourself, search your heart, and better yet, ask the Lord to search your heart. Are you forgiving? Are you merciful towards others? The Beatitudes cause us to examine ourselves, to be certain our faith is true, and they also help us to evaluate our spiritual health. Where's the Lord working? Where's to continue to sanctify us? Who needs your forgiveness? Who can you show mercy to? I want to close with the words of Sinclair Ferguson here. He said, How is it that we claim to be Christians, yet show little mercy? Why are we so self-seeking, choosing a lifestyle of convenience rather than a self-sacrificing lifestyle of showing mercy? Is it because we have only a superficial understanding of the riches of God's kindness to us? There can be no other explanations. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who know they have received mercy, show mercy. And the merciful are greatly blessed because they will receive mercy from God himself. End quote there. I'm so grateful, my friend, for God's kindness in redeeming me as his own in Jesus. And I pray if you are in Christ that you are too, because Jesus is enough always. I'm so grateful for your time today. I have um, a really good resource to share with you and a couple other good podcasts I want to share that you might want to check out too here. But my resource to share is a new Christian streaming service that you're just going to love. So when you come to those evenings wondering what to watch and you have those moments, you're no longer going to, it's not going to be an issue because you're going to have some good quality and solid biblical kingdom focused shows right on your TV at the click of a button. Actually, we use it on Roku and it's been great. So I want you to check out AGTV from the creators of the American Gospel Movies, and I'm going to put the link in the show notes, so it'll be there for you. But if you use a special discount code from my Bar Network family that we have, it's called Bar One. You just put B-A-R, the number one, you get 10% off when you subscribe from your monthly subscription. So it's a great deal. It's super affordable. It's a great ministry. You're going to love it. Again, you can find it at watchagtv.com, but I'll link it all. Don't forget to use the um, the discount code so you can get 10% off. And also, while I'm on the Bar Network, and Just Thinking Podcast is on AGTV too, so you need to check that out. And there's some other great ministries on there too. So I should have listed all the things, but I think of like Whitehorse and Living Waters and Wretched and the American Gospel Movies and... Um, the Good Book Company, I think it has some of theirs like Christianity Explored and some of their neat series. So there's just some good stuff there. But we've also added some new podcasts to the Bar Network family. And ladies, you're going to love this. So 
Many of you already listen to the Women's Hope podcast with Kimberly and Dr. Shelby, but they're now part of the family. And there's another edition called Open Hearts in a Closed World by Brooke Bartz. And I'm going to put both those links in the show notes so you can add some new, excellent, solid theological podcasts to your earbuds. And I'm so thankful for my little thankful homework family here. And if you give a moment, friend, I love you. If you've not yet to leave a rating or a review on iTunes, super helpful. So many other ladies are finding the podcast because of you and your ratings and reviews. So I'm so grateful for that and for each and every one of them. And the next Sermon on the Mount episode will not be out until January. I'll probably have another podcast episode or two up. Um, I started a little bite-sized episode kind of segment that'll come out on Fridays randomly. So if you are a podcast listener here, subscribe wherever you listen and that way you won't miss an episode. It'll just automatically pop into your app when I throw one up because I don't have a schedule for those bite-sized ones. They're going to be shorter, more like five to 10 minutes long. Um, but I'll probably have another one up this month before Christmas too. So that gives you time. Even the Sermon on the Mount, it's not coming out to January gives you a little bit of time to catch up if you're a bit behind and it gives me a little bit of time to put it together too. So I'm enjoying working through it. I don't like having to rush through it. So I love taking my time and be able to study and dig in deep. So that's been a blessing to me and you are a blessing to me, my friend. So I do pray that you have a very blessed week. Mm -hmm.